I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24. The Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 24, starting this morning where we left off last time in verse 36. For the last two years, we've been following Jesus through the Gospel of Matthew. And we've just about reached the end. We're in chapter 24 out of 28. We have reached, the, we have reached Jesus' teaching on the end, often called the Olivet Discourse, because it was delivered on the Mount of Olives, or also called Jesus' teaching of eschatology, the doctrine of last things. Jesus taught this during that crucial last week, that holy week when Jesus was crucified. Jesus came to Jerusalem, he wrestled with and denounced the religious leaders, and then he predicted the desolation of the city and the temple. And in chapters 24 and 25 of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus teaches about that coming judgment of Israel and about his own return. So this is Jesus' own teaching about Jesus' own return. And of course, that can be both exciting to learn about and also fairly complex and confusing. Christians throughout the ages have disagreed about exactly how to interpret many of the details of eschatology. Bible-believing Christians have agreed about the main points of eschatology. Jesus is coming back. He's really coming back. He's coming back in person. He's coming back in the same resurrected body that he left in. And his return will be glorious. Last time we learned about the glorious coming of the Son of Man. It's described in verses 29 through 31. Just listen to verse 30. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. But there's also been a lot of disagreement among faithful, Bible-believing Christians, especially about the timing of Jesus' return and the timing and order of the events surrounding that return. In the last two fairly long sermons, I have endeavored to lay out my view, my interpretation of what is going on in these two chapters. I'm sure that I've gotten most of you lost along the way. I came in one Monday and Marilyn was listening to the recording and she's like, I can't follow you on this. And I've listened to it a couple times. It's easy to get lost in these chapters. I've gotten myself lost a time or two. So thank you for your patience with me. And I'll keep trying my best to show you what I see. But there have been two guiding principles that have kept us on track so that even if we disagree or get confused on some of the details, the point of this teaching still comes through. One principle is the same principle we've seen throughout the Gospel of Matthew, and that is what? Keep your eye on the ball, right? Because Matthew is a theological biography of Jesus. And the whole point of this book is to answer the keep your eye on the ball question, who is this Jesus? And he does that by every means at Matthew's disposal. And that goes for these two chapters as well. Matthew doesn't just want to lay out for us what is going to happen or when it's going to happen or how it's going to happen. Matthew is concerned to show us who. Jesus is the Son of Man, he says. He's that mysterious and powerful eschatological figure promised by the prophet Daniel. The Son of Man receives a kingdom from the Ancient of Days and then He comes in obvious glory and majesty. And what he promises, he will deliver. Abe already said it. We all said it together. 
Jesus said in verse 35, the last verse we considered last time, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. That's quite a claim, isn't it? You have to be quite a person to make good on that claim. Keep your eye on the ball. The second principle that has guided us through our study of eschatology and is going to continue to guide us through our study of eschatology is to always focus on application. Application. Prophetic teaching isn't just information for information's sake. Oh, that's interesting. Prophetic teaching is always aimed at the heart. It's always aimed at transformation. It's always aimed at application. And that's going to be even more obvious today and in the next few weeks as we move through chapter 24 and into chapter 25. Because Jesus is going to get away from giving us very many more details. In fact, he gives us almost no more details. And instead, he's going to turn his focus on the so what question. So what? What difference does all this make? And we're going to see that this teaching makes a big difference in how we are to live. So stay focused on application. Now let me try to get you lost one more time. Let me try to quickly summarize what we've seen so far in, chapters 20, in chapter 24 so that verse 36 will make some sense. Remember, the disciples wanted Jesus to stay at the temple. He was turning his back on the temple and walking away in verse 1. And they tried to show him how beautiful the buildings were. But Jesus predicted, verse 2, that not one stone of the temple would be left on another. Everyone would be thrown down. Desolation. And that prophecy, when he told them that, that rocked the disciples' world. So they came to him privately on the Mount of Olives later. And they asked, our verse 3, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? They all assumed that was, that was all one thing, the end of the world as we know it. Let me ask you a question. Did Jesus answer their question? Did, Jesus doesn't always tell us what we want to know, but he does tell us what we need to know. So Jesus taught them about what he called the birth pains. Do you remember this from a couple weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago? The birth pains, those terribly difficult things that the world will go through up and down and time to time throughout the ages until his return. It's verses 4 through 25 of chapter 24. Birth pains tell you that something big is coming and that it is inevitable. But they don't always tell you when. So I don't think Jesus answered the when question for the disciples in that first part of chapter 24. At least not the when of his return. He did tell them in verses 15 through 25 about the incredibly excruciating birth pain of what he calls the abomination of desolation, which I think in the Gospel of Matthew refers to the destruction of the temple that happened in that generation about 40 years later in the year 70 AD. I think that Jesus told them in verse 34 that all of these birth pains, including that awful one of the temple, would occur in that same generation. That is, all these kinds of things would happen in that generation, including the abomination of desolation. But he didn't tell them when he would return. He told them that he would return, verses 29 through 31, 
And that it would be obvious and glorious. The coming of the Son of Man would be unmistakable like the lightning in the sky or the vultures with the carcasses. And he told them that it would change absolutely everything. Listen to verse 31. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. That's going to change everything for us. But he has not told us when. He's told us that it's near. Like a spring leaf proclaims that summer is near. Opposite for us, right? When you see the leaves fall, you know winter's on the way. You don't know when. It could still take some time. Feels like it today, right? But it is surely coming. It's around the corner. But He's not told us when. And in today's passage, in verse 36, He tells us why that He has not told us when. Do you know why He did not tell us when? It's because He didn't know. It's because Jesus didn't know. Listen to Matthew 24, verse 36. No one knows that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Would you pray with me? Lord, we've sung some glorious truth. Help us, Lord, now to hear some glorious truth. We've sung about what Jesus did for us in His amazing grace when He paid it all, when His mercy was more. And now, Lord, help us to think about what He's going to do for us when He draws us to be with Him forever. Help us to think about the when and specifically that we don't know when. And what difference that will make for us now. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus, whose words will never pass away. Amen. Listen again to verse 36. Our sermon title comes out of the first three words of the verse. No one knows about that day or hour. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. What an incredible statement, isn't it? I think that that day or hour in verse 36 is clearly referring to the coming of the Son of Man and all of the attendant events surrounding it, often called the day of the Lord. We know it as the glorious return of Christ, what Jesus was teaching in verses 29 through 31. And Jesus teaches that no one knows when that will be. No one knows when. He says, not even the angels in heaven. Okay, so Gabriel, Michael, all those angels up there, they don't know. And the angels, they're going to have a big role to play when it all goes down, right? He's going to come with those angels. But not a one of them knows when. They don't know. But that's not the most amazing part of the verse, is it? What's even more amazing, what's almost unimaginable, is that the no one includes the Son Himself. Nor the Son. Did you hear those words? Nor the Son. It's not just in Matthew. Mark says it too. Whose day is this? The day of the Lord. It's the coming of the who? 
the Son of Man. This is His day. And the Son says that the Son doesn't know when it's going to be. Only the Father does. In Matthew 24, 36, Jesus professes his ignorance about the date of his return. Now that's really amazing, given everything we've learned about who Jesus is in the Gospel of Matthew, isn't it? As we've read about, as we've read Matthew, have there been a lot of times we've said, yep, he sure is a limited kind of guy. No. Think about this person we've been learning about for two years, for 24 chapters. Think about who he's claimed to be. Keep your eye on the ball. Just the same day he says this, Jesus did that baffling Bible study on Psalm 110 with the Pharisees. Remember that? What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? Trick question, Pharisees. Do you know your Bible? They say the son of David. Okay. Jesus says, then how is it that David calls him Lord? For he says, Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under my feet. If David then calls him Lord, how can he be his son? Remember this? Yes, he's the son of David, but he's also the Lord of David. And God talks to him like he talks to himself. He says, come up here and sit up, up, here, with my, up here on my throne with me, up here on my right. Who does God talk to like that? Just God. Jesus is also the Son of God. He's the Son of Man and the Son of God. And He's ignorant of the time of His return. Everything Jesus knows. What has Jesus known so far in the Gospel of Matthew? He just told us in 35 verses what the world is going to be like for the next 2,000 years. He knows that. He knows about the birth pains. He knows about the destruction of the temple. He knows that everything, and everything he said that would happen has happened for 2,000 years. Every, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And then he says that he doesn't know when he's coming back, nor the sun. How can this be? How can Jesus not know something like that? I mean, he's God, right? This is the mystery of the incarnation. When God took on flesh, when, when the Son of God assumed a human nature, he also took on limitations in that human nature. So here we are just a few weeks from Christmas. When Jesus was born, there was a whole lot he didn't know. Think about that. The shepherds didn't find him in the manger sitting up and teaching everybody about the birth pains of the Messiah. Right? No. Mary had some birth pains of the Messiah. But Jesus wasn't teaching anything about eschatology that day. He was probably just crying away in the manger. Just like that. Jesus grew. The Bible tells us Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and people. He grew. The Bible tells us he was astonished, that he was amazed, that he learned things in his human nature without giving up his deity or the attributes of his deity. 
The early church recognized the full deity of Christ and the full humanity of Christ. He is 100% both. The two natures together in one person, without confusion, without change, without division, without separation, to use the language of the Chalcedonian Creed. It's mysterious. Because in his divine nature, Jesus remained and remains omniscient. But in regards to his humanity, the Father kept this a secret from his Son at that time. Does he know now? Do you think that Jesus knows now? I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised, but I don't know. I do know that on that day, Jesus, in his human nature, did not know. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. No one knows. So let's apply that for just a little bit. Remember, we're going to focus on application. If even Jesus didn't know when he was going to return, what does that say about you and me? We sure don't know. That's right. Whenever I'm leading an ordination council, I get to lead a lot of the ordination councils for our our family of churches. This is the first question I ask when we get to Article 9 of our Statement of Faith. And if they answer it wrong, it's an automatic fail. I ask this question. When is Jesus coming back? And if they don't say, I don't know, it's an automatic fail. This is one of those questions that if you think you know the answer, you're wrong. No one knows when. Only the Father. And we shouldn't try to weasel around it and say that nobody knows the day or the hour, but we can get a pretty good idea of the year or the decade or the century. No. Who do we think we are? If the Son didn't know, how do we presume to pretend we do? And yet so many people have been date setters throughout the history of the church. I can give you a long list of people, long as my arm, over the last 2,000 years who thought they had it all figured out and guess what? They've all been wrong. Do you remember the guy that wrote the book, 88 Reasons Why Jesus Would Return in 1988? It's been 22 years since 1988. And he didn't come back. Do you remember Harold Camping was on the radio? Billboards everywhere. He's going to come back on March 11, 2012 or whatever it is. People are listening to this guy. The Millerites. Over and over and over again, people have been setting dates. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus said, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by His own authority. He says, it's not for you. Quit acting like it is. So we shouldn't speculate. And we shouldn't pretend. And we shouldn't listen to those who do. Beware of those who act like they have it all figured out. And all you have to do is buy their book or buy their tapes or buy their prophecy chart or tune into them because people like that hurt people when they get disappointed. Eschatology should make us humble because we realize that there are secret things that belong to the Lord and the Lord alone. And at this point in history, the Father was even keeping them secret from the Son. 
we are not going to know. You're not going to know. That's not for us. That's only for Him. So we need to be okay with that. Are you okay with that? We are on a need-to-know basis. And one of the things we need to know is that no one knows when the Son of Man will come. Only the Father. Now Jesus is going to... This is really important. Okay, this is really important. That's why I'm pounding it today. No one knows. No one knows. No one knows. Jesus is going to pound it five times in this chapter. He's going to say the same kind of thing over and over again. No one knows. You don't know. No one knows. Not, nor the Son. Only the Father. Why does He make such a big deal of this? Because it makes a big difference in how we live. Jesus didn't know when, but He knew what His coming would be like. Look at verse 37. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Now, the point here is not how bad the world will be when the Son of Man comes. Things were bad in the days of Noah, but that is not what Jesus emphasizes. What does he emphasize? Not how bad it was, but how what? How normal it was. How normal the days were. Life was happening. They were eating. They were drinking. They were marrying. Life goes on. Life goes on. Life goes on. Even though Noah was saying the judgment was coming, life goes on. Life goes on. Life goes on. Until it doesn't. The judgment was sudden and unexpected and irrevocable. Surprise! They knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. They didn't see it coming. That's how the world will be. Look at verse 40. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Just like that, everything will change. One day you're just working away together, maybe family working together. The next thing you know, you're caught off guard and you're separated forever. Some to be with the Lord, some to be away from the Lord forever. And who knows when? No one knows when. You see how important this is? How this changes everything? Is this how you see the world? Is this how, you're, is this how you focus on what is going on in your world? No one knows when. And here's where Jesus starts to really bring it home with application. Look at verse 42. Therefore, keep watch. Because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. From here on to the end of chapter 25, that's the theme. Keep watch. Stay ready. Because no one knows when, number two, everyone should stay ready. He says, get ready and stay ready. That's what it means to keep watch. It means to be spiritually vigilant, like a night watchman or like a hunter. I have two sons that are into hunting, and I enjoy going out with them and watching them do their thing. I'm not much of a hunter because it involves two things I'm not very good at, sitting still and being quiet. I'm much better at wiggling and making noise. It's funny, my sons haven't invited me out to hunt with them yet this year. 
Andrew and Peter are great at sitting still and watching, scanning the woods. I want to check my phone. I want to read my book. Everybody brings a book when you go hunting, right? I don't know how many times Peter will say to me, deer. And I'm like, what? What? I'd miss it. And I'm flapping my arms, which I guess the deer don't like it when you flap your arms. Peter is a really good example of vigilance, of keeping watch, being ready. Jesus here is talking about spiritual vigilance. He says, therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. By the way, it would help me a lot if I were hunting, if I knew that the deer were going to come that day. You know, sometime during, I'd keep a lot better watch if I knew there was going to just be one come by. Jesus says, therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Everything might seem all normal, but the Son of Man is coming. Did everybody know that the weather was coming this morning? Uh Uh-huh. How could you tell? It didn't seem like it to me yesterday. It was such a beautiful day. I got in eight miles of walking yesterday, and it just felt great. Everything was just normal. I I said multiple times, it doesn't seem like there's going to be a storm tomorrow. It doesn't seem like there's going to be bad weather tomorrow. The weather today is so good. It was a little cold yesterday, but nothing like this. But the weatherman had said, the ice and the snow and the sleet and the freezing rain and the cold is coming. And I just had to believe it and get ready. Did you get ready? You're here this morning. You got ready. You got out the shovels, you got out the ice melt, you got out the whatever, whatever it took to get ready. It's coming. I'm not sure when, but it's coming. See, the weather didn't take you by surprise. Because even though we didn't know exactly when it would hit, because the weatherman is not a prophet, we knew to get ready. Therefore, keep watch. Because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Jesus says he's going to come like a thief. I love it that he uses this. It's not because he's going to steal from us, right? It's not like he's a burglar, okay? But after he says it, it gets picked up again and again in your New Testament that he's going to come like a thief. Look at verse 43. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have left his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect Him. Do you think Jesus wants us to know that we will not know? How many times is He going to say it? He even compares Himself to a burglar. Again, not that He steals things, but that He comes unannounced. Nobody gets a notice in the mail. By the way, this week I'm going to rob you. Right? Maybe in some heist movie sometime. And it's so funny and fun because that's not how it works. If you knew that the thief was coming tonight at 2 a.m., you'd be ready for him, right? You'd set an alarm on your phone, you'd go to sleep, and you'd set an alarm at 1 o'clock to wake yourself up and make yourself some coffee and sit in the living room because you know the thief is coming. You put a lock on the door and you'd be ready and up, up and ready for the home invasion. And knowing a lot of you guys, I know what you'd have in your hand. But if you don't know, 
if it's unpredictable, what then? You've got to always be ready. You've got to be prepared all the time. You've got to learn to expect the unexpected. Verse 42 again. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect Him. Might be short. Might be long. We're going to see next week that both of those are possibilities. Shorter than we might expect. Longer than we might expect. Jesus said so. We don't know. No one knows. So we should stay ready. That's what we're going to talk about for at least the next two Sundays. What kind of, what, what this kind of spiritual vigilance looks like. Our EFCA statement of faith calls it living with constant expectancy. Constant expectancy. And we who are followers of Christ should never stop doing it. So let me ask you this application question before we go to the table. What do you want to be found doing when the Lord returns? This is serious. What do you want to be found doing when the Lord returns? I don't necessarily mean the very second He does. But with your life. What do you want to be... How do you want to be? In what state do you want to be? What kind of activities? What kind of attitudes? What kind of relationships? What kind of choices? What kind of actions? What kind of words? What do you want to be doing when the Lord returns? Do it now. And keep doing that. Because nobody knows when. Often we laugh at the people who predict the end of the world. You know, the ones with the sandwich boards. The end is near. You know, Jesus is coming. We laugh at the people who predict this and then it doesn't come. And we predict this and it doesn't come. Because we don't know. But in actuality, it's not funny at all. Because we don't know, we should all get ready and stay ready. What do you want to be found doing? When your Lord returns. I don't know about you, but I want to be keeping watch.